Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Haiku P podcast, episode 17 of the third series. In case you're new to the podcast, I'm Patricia, and I'm your host, as always. However, today there is another voice on the podcast, Ben Gar, who came along last month to present a writing and editing workshop and stayed on to do a reading for us from his new book, One Breath. We've been talking a little bit about the essence of haiku and brevity on the podcast, and Ben's reading flows naturally into this conversation. And so from his talk, I'll jump in with some feedback from some recent episodes. And of course, the podcast on the first Monday of the month would not be the same if we didn't have a little bit of renku. Now normally, the reading from one of our poets would be at the end of the podcast, but today it makes sense to put it at the beginning, and I think you'll see why when you've listened to it. So here we have it, a reading from Ben Gar. Ben, thank you very much for staying on and agreeing to do a reading for us. Hopefully everyone heard you on the podcast last month, but if you haven't, I would recommend going back and either watching it on YouTube or listening to it again, because it's got some great information about how to, to, how to write and how to edit your work. But today, Ben, I'm so pleased you're going to read to us from your latest book, One Breath. So again, over to you, Ben. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I love writing and I love reading my poems out loud. Uh, and it's really cool to be able to have the opportunity to hear, especially the poet, read his stuff. Kind of gives you an extra color and flavor to things. And I read with these little tongue bells. So I'm going to ring them three times. I'll do, and then I'll move through the poems, ringing up chime after each one. So here we go. Here's uh, seven poems from One Breath. Pulling a pen from her hair. The waitress becomes this poem. Fireworks, the burst of tart lemonade. Sultry night, the fiddle holes fill with sound. Poetry reading, the secrets we keep between paper sheets. Backyard weeds, everyone has a name. Sudden storm. The quiet place inside her eyes. Dew light following the web to the spider. Okay. Thanks, Ben. It's, you, you were right. There is something very special about hearing a poet reading his or her own work, isn't there? Really. Mm -hmm. To me, it brings a, I mean, you, you read it on a page and you have a 
visceral understanding of it, but you really get something else. Something else pops out when you, you hear the words spoken aloud. And speaking of which, I just wanted to ask you about backyard weeds. So uh-huh. uh, backyard weeds, everyone has a name. Right. That, it sounded really melancholy to me. And I just wondered <laughs> what, what was in your head when you were writing that one, if you can remember. Uh, I can remember. I would not necessarily know the whole haiku journey, but when I had a house uh, and I, I spent a lot of time in the backyard writing poems uh, and I was really, I, I was kind of a person that if something looks interesting that's growing somewhere, I would sometimes just let something grow just to see what happens. Um, and it turns out any one of these weird, nasty things that might show up in your backyard that's not really part of your lawn, they all have names and they all are interesting and they all kind of tend to flower and do something. And so it's, it's kind of a, a discovery poem there. But I guess the way that I, I, I tend to read it and the way that it's got an undertone to me as well is the word with everyone. And mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of a, it's a haiku, but maybe a semi hybrid in a sense, because you could read this as a way that, that people, their background weeds uh, could be like a lot of people that you mm-hmm. might see out and about that might be people that you don't necessarily think fit in or that, you know, whatnot. Uh, but every every person has a name, and when you think about when you name things, when you you, you hear people's names, it, it draws attention to them as a complete being. Same thing to the backyard weed. If you don't think of it as just a weed, but you think, oh, that's a milk thistle, that has a lot of properties to it. Um, your understanding of what you're what you're calling out as something bad changes. And in this country, especially in the U.S., the, these last several years, we've had a lot of um, unrest, shall we say, to, to some things. And it's been very important for uh, protesters to name the names of the victims of violent crimes. And so in this case, it, it does have an undertone for me, especially, I mean, I wrote this a little while ago, but especially with things that are going on in my country right now, it has an extra weight. So I'm sure that's where, where the melancholy reading comes from. I can't not have that be part of how I see this poem. Yeah, you described it the way I, I felt it when I when I read it through. So that, thank you for that. I also wanted to ask you why did you call the book One Breath? Because I think it's got some relevance to something we've been talking about on the podcast recently. Yeah, uh, well, for one, it, it it is what a haiku is. It's the poem of a single breath, and in a way, um, it's the way I want this book to be read and, and because it's again within a press that's not a haiku press is that it, I want it to be an introductory thing. They see one breath and maybe it's going to stick home that, Oh, this form has a thing. It, it does something and it is of a single breath. And that's an important part of why a haiku is a haiku and not a short poem. And um, so I want that kind of edu- education resonance to it as well as that, you know, there's the, the title, there is a poem that goes with that which is ironically the only poem that hasn't, that didn't, it's not published anywhere but the book. Uh, and it comes at the very last page, which is just a reminder that, that living one breath at a time is precious. And if, we, if you think about everything that happens to you in a single moment, a single breath, it can bring some perspective to a lot of the noise and that surrounds us every day. And, you know, that, that's the kind of noise that I clear out of my head when I start to write uh, in a writing session. It's the noise I clear out of my head to try to see the things around me. And, you know, that's 
that's a subtext that I have for the title. But is there something that, that spoke to you about it particularly? No, the reason I, I thought it might have some relevance is I think even in the very last first of the month podcast that we did, we've been talking about brevity and what makes up, what is the essence of haiku? Mm-hmm. And somebody reminded me that I hadn't spoken about the one breath idea. And I got to thinking about it and I got to thinking, do I actually agree with the idea that haiku should be one breath poetry? I'm still on the fence at the moment, mm-hmm. still don't know. I sort of tried to do an historical perspective and go back quite some way. The trouble with going back to say um, Bashu or, or Busan, whatever, you're reliant on good translation or a translation, aren't you? So you can't really, you can't really tell unless you can do your own translation, which I can't. <laughs> yes. uh, so, so you can't really judge from that. But if you, again, uh, if you go back even to haiku in English and you take the chronological viewpoint mm-hmm. i think i was finding that if i went back far enough in a contemporary form that i could find poets that were longer you know which would squeeze into two maybe three breaths and that, that was fine but then i got to thinking another th- thought about it was well are we doing one breath poetry now because it, it's evolved to become one breath poetry and is that necessarily the way forward particularly as an editor when i'm reading the poem for the journal do I outright reject something that has me going (gasps) halfway through it you know um or not so I'm still very much on on the fence and I just I that's why I was intrigued by the title well yeah I I think that um that one breath there is something that that it takes place in a single breath but it's also I think it just underscores that the that the poem itself has to be a single moment yeah and so, so what if it's truly one breath or multiple breaths? I mean, it could be a whole poem about time, a cycle of time. Like I have a, a poem of mine that's in Wishbones, which is from the hammock, birds fade into crickets, crickets fade into stars. Is more than, it's, it's more than a specific moment, but it is essentially a poem about time. Mm-hmm. And so that's the moment of recognition at the point at the end of the poem at the end of the moment that you recognize from the hammock that you've witnessed this time past that you only come to that res that that recognition of it after those two things have happened mm-hmm. so as long as to me as long as the poem the moment of the poem stays in the present tense which yes. when you're taking a breath that happens in now that that's the important part whether or not it, it has a couple beats to it or or what ah i don't know I think as an editor, you know, that, like, as you said earlier, I don't like it when people put and in poems, but if you use it right, yeah, exactly. it's totally fine. And that, that's the way that my, I write in general. My, I don't have hard, fast rules about language as long as the poem works. Mm-hmm. And as long as it is a poem that unfolds in the present moment, that doesn't require you to know the poet to be able to understand it. Um, and that it, it, it is something that lives on its own and can take someone somewhere. I also wanted to tell you that reading your work is a bit like a two-edged sword for me. Mm. I very much enjoy it. But on the other hand, it sort of hurts because I think, wish that one were mine, you know? Uh, Uh, (laughs) Yeah, a poet friend of mine, uh, Brian Rickert, calls that haiku envy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's where I am with with a lot of your work. (laughs) I've been trying to write a haiku about spider's web for a very long time it's sitting in my haiku journal and i come back Mm -hmm. to it time and time again and i tweak it here and there at Mm -hmm. the moment it's it's this it's black grass on the spider's web frost hardens so you've got to sort of pivot in the second second 
But then you read this, Dewlight, following the web to the spider. And I think, oh God, <laughs> I'm gonna have, to, <laughs> gonna have to leave that one for a little while and come back to it when, I, when your one is not in my head. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, just so you know, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> all the time I, and that's why i write all over the place in those books i'm like oh this is so good i want to write something like this or this this person nailed it how you know yeah uh, then, but, then you start thinking how did they nail it what did, what what did they do exactly <laughs> then you start reading it not as a, a lover of literature but as a writer and, and and try to figure out what how did they come to that and then that's what helps me i mean i every time i read a book it's it's a it's a class you know every poet that i encounter is teaching me something and I learn all the time. I feel like I have so much left to learn about this form, and I've been doing it exclusively for now about uh, 10, 11 years. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a long way to, do, to go to catch you up. One more thing I wanted to say. Sure. The, this one really spoke to me. Sultry night, the fiddle holds fill with sound. Uh, now, the fiddle looms large in my family. It's an Irish family. Mm all our parties basically turn into Kayleys and the, the fiddle becomes a very important part of yeah. that. But that's a very different feel to the fiddle sound in your poem. I got to thinking about it. What happens if I change a word in your poem? So I, I came up with this. Sultry night, the fiddle holds fill with gloom. Because mm. whilst yours is a very sensuous, to me anyway, mm -hmm. a very sensuous uh, right. thing, my parties or the, the family parties always a very loud and boisterous to start with because it's full of the joys of, of meeting up with everybody but then they, they they towards the end they get to thinking oh i'm not living in a home in ireland anymore and mm. they become quite sad things so that i changed that to gloom but then your editing process kicked in again and i haven't finished yet but i had mm. to follow it up with euphoric the fiddle holes fill with gloom so to, mm. again to show the pattern of the of the evening so the yes. the the joy at the beginning to the gloominess at the end so i have to thank you very much for that as well you know to not introducing me to be to the editing process of rewriting everything but to making it very clear that that is a very useful way of doing things and more so not just the fact that you re-edit but you write the whole thing out again yes. another yes. time that makes a huge difference huge so just sort difference. of scritch scratching out the the word that offends you and mm -hmm. doing something else with it yes so I, I have to i have to thank you for that and i have to thank you for our reading it's it, it's been wonderful to have you on and i hope like i said you'll come back and you'll do some more reading for us for your next book perhaps <laughs> even before who knows <laughs> who knows <laughs> thank you ben you're very welcome thanks i hope you could hear the fun i had talking to ben about his poems in fact i have an apology i got so excited towards the end that I really talk too much. Yes, I know, hard to believe such a quiet and retiring person as myself talking too much. But hey-ho, my apologies. To make up for it, I've invited Ben to do another call to answer some of your questions, either about the reading we've just heard or the writing and editing workshop he did for us a month ago, or something completely different and random. But could you please email me some questions by the 20th of September? If you don't have the email, just head to the Poetry P website and you'll find out my contact details. And listening back to it, I realised my South London accent came to the fore in the reading of one of my efforts at Haiku, the fiddle one. I wasn't talking about glue, but gloom. 
if you'd like to have a read, I've added both Ben's poems and mine to the show notes, along with the details of Ben's two books. If you'd like to buy them, you'll find all the details there. As I said to Ben, you and I have been thinking about haiku, the essence of them and their length. Many of you got in touch and gave me more to think about. Thank you for that. And today I want to spend a little time sharing some of that thinking and feedback with you. I'll start with something that Ben mentioned in his reading, but it's something I really should have said before now, because, at least with someone starting out writing haiku, it sort of switches the lights on. I know when Giddy Nielsen Sweep said it to me, it was like a light bulb going off. She reminded me, as Ben did today, of the blindingly obvious. Giddy told me that when you start to write a haiku, you're trying to capture a moment in time. Or as Ben put it today, the poem itself has to be a single moment. As you know, Ben and I briefly discussed the idea of haiku being said in one breath. I'm not convinced about this. Both Craig Kittner and Michael Barabo wrote to me about the one breath idea. Michael suggesting that it's a guide for the type of brevity which is often successful, and Craig that it was a useful tool for beginners, giving them an easy, relatable frame of reference. But once you attain a certain amount of experience, it becomes less useful. With time and practice, your instinct tends to kick in. Both gentlemen pointed out that many people have mastered techniques which allow them to take longer breaths. Swimmers and singers, for example. And that, to me, puts the kibosh, as my mother says, on the idea of a single breath. For who's to say how long a single breath is? Feel free to disagree. You know I don't mind. In a previous podcast, I quoted Michael Dillon Welsh, who said, Haiku needs to be short while communicating clearly saying what needs to be said, thus to be as short as necessary. Some of you disagreed with me about that. Mark Gilbert pointed out that there is a current fashion in English-language haiku in which haiku don't communicate clearly, in which they say less than what needs to be said and, by any objective standpoint, are shorter than necessary. And he used one of my monaku as an example, cheeky devil. The Birdsong of Things Lost, which was published in Sonic Boom, issue 17. Now, I'd argue that it's just as I want it, but can I justifiably argue that it is as short as necessary? It's quite possible that Mark could be right when he asserts that it could fall into the group of haiku which doesn't communicate clearly and says less than what needs to be said. I was experimenting with monaku and minimalism, and I freely admit that whilst I'm pleased with the result, it's definitely, definitely on the borders of not communicating clearly or saying enough. I wrote it towards the beginning of lockdown here in Switzerland. I was sitting in my garden, and there was little or no traffic noise, and I could really, really hear the birds. For me, they summed up what had been lost in the lockdown. I couldn't go anywhere. I'd lost, and still have lost, many of my freedoms. But I had the birdsong. Does that compensate? Personally, I think not, nice as it is, but I'm probably in the minority there. At this point, I'd like to quote Wayne Kingston, who wrote to me 
that many revisits will reap decidedly different illustrations of the artist's intent. Grasping what a poet is trying to convey can be limitlessly rewarding. Even as I give an explanation of the monocou, I can see other explanations and interpretations. From a personal viewpoint, I'm not sure I'd like to see English-language haikus stride down the route of vagueness. A little meander now and again is fine. However, I do think that you can communicate clearly and yet be open to a number of interpretations. How many times have you written a piece which in your own head communicates exactly what you're thinking and then someone talks to you about it and they've seen a completely different meaning? I don't have a problem with that. What I don't like, and again, I'll stress it's a personal opinion, is a poet pushing the boundaries too far and hopping over into ambiguity. Ambiguity which is only countered if you know the poet. Anyway, that's a whole different topic and for another day. I know many of you have thoughts on that subject. Now both Wayne and Mark raised another question. When is enough enough? Or to put it another way, how long can a haiku be and still be a haiku? Mark and I are continuing to think this one through. And if you have thoughts, please send them over and I'll copy Mark in and we can start a larger discussion. Mark also expressed a worry that if you're editing your haiku in a minimalistic way, then perhaps you might lose your voice. Michael Barabo suggested perhaps a haiku's focus on phrasing would trump this minimalist approach. And Craig Kittner wanted to reassure us that in all probability, we wouldn't lose our voice. He shared a discovery he made when starting out as an abstract artist. He came across a book called The Art Spirit by Robert Henri. Robert was a teacher and painter of the Ashcan School in New York in the late 19th and early 20th century. His book is a collection of letters, lectures and classroom notes. And although it talks about drawing and painting, Craig feels that Robert's philosophy on art is applicable to any creative field, such as ours. And he sent me a great quote from it. Don't worry about your originality. You couldn't get rid of it even if you wanted to. It will stick with you and show up for better or worse in spite of all you or anyone else can do. Craig's conclusion being that he comes down firmly on no, if you cut from your haiku, you'll not lose your voice. If someone else cuts it for you, you might. But if you were doing the cutting, the cutting itself is part of your voice. Craig, I think I agree with you. And this might be a good time to say, when you send me haiku and it's returned with a suggested edit by myself or, or one of the editing team, we never get upset if our edit is rejected. If you want to say no, please don't be afraid to. Although sometimes that might mean your verse will be rejected. So, I have a lot more feedback to think about. Topics include negative space, extremely short poems like Tundra, and pretentiousness. If you have any thoughts on these topics, please feel free to share them with me in an email. I'm always very grateful for your thoughts. And so, let's move on to our Renku. My thanks to James Young, Giddy Nielsen-Sweep, Ian Speed and Michael Barabo for joining me in this Renku. Can you figure out the theme? Winter Bites 
In my rice bowl, only tears. Scratching the snow, a squirrel's hoard. Found food functions better than exotic recipes and fancy dining. No feet of clay for this plodding housewife. Flower moon, a coolness creeps into the harrowed soil. Slaked limestone, life's bitter sweetness. My kiln belly, anticipating the crop, I plough on. Hunger for bitterness leaves, upturned earth, unsweetened. Kissed by summer, asleep in the bee meadows, a trout stream. In the frying pan, hibiscus flowers float. Colour tour, a thermos for tea to warm our hands. Plucking clover for its nectar. Pollinated, infusing the red petals. A moth circles around the moon's reflection. Starlight, caterpillars feasting on nasturtiums. The rabbits left me one garden tomato. In the spotlight, table roses and stew. Run, bunny, run. Thanks to everyone who's involved in the Renku. And if you'd like to know who wrote each verse, you'll find it in the show notes. So that's the end for another week. Thank you very much for coming along and joining myself and Ben and all the other poets who've contributed to this week's episode. My thanks to them too for the time and the trouble they've taken to email me and to get engaged in discussions. Don't forget to continue sending feedback. It's valued greatly and, of course, it always helps me to learn. The next podcast in a couple of weeks will be a special written by the community on the topic of loss. I'm going to be trying out another experimental bell to see if that works better than my last attempts. I think the idea was good, but the execution really wasn't very good, was it? Anyway, don't forget, I'm now accepting submissions on the topic of found poetry. The deadline is the 1st of October. Emails only, please. Many people have asked me what exactly I'm talking about, so I've put a little note in the show notes just to illustrate exactly what I mean by found poetry. I have a couple of questions to finish with. The first one is who would like to do a little reading next year? It's just five minutes where you read a haiku and a little bit of commentary. And the second question is, are there experts that you'd like me to hunt down and talk to? Email me and I'll try and get hold of them. So until next time, keep writing. If there's any information that I've missed, just drop me an email and I'll try and sort it out for you. Ciao.